Some stories start with once upon a time. Some start with long, long ago. My story starts here. When your world has paved and it can't be saved, it's like you're swimming against the tide. When the dad you knew up and leaves you too, you want to totally run and hide. Stuck with a mom who forgets I'm here. Welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, is now available and can be purchased wherever finer books are sold. Peter also has columns at Mastworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. So, Peter, uh, you also mm. have this, uh, what is it like to be a theater <laughs> critic? Uh-huh. Coming up on February 9th and 26th at Theater no, 555. 19th, 19th oh. and 26th. What did I say? February 19th and 26th. Right. Yeah, 4 o'clock okay. at Theater 555. Box office at com. Theater is E-R as opposed to R-E. And um, by all means, I'd love to see you there. I'd love to um, meet the people who've been listening to us and shake hands and... Um, so uh, a splendid time may be guaranteed for all. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And it is a uh, it is a free, but you must have a reservation. So mm-hmm. uh, box office at theater er555.com. It's in the show notes as well. So if you want to get over to the show notes and make your reservation, that'd be great. Uh, also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Michael, I, I heard a rumor. What? Oh. I heard a rumor that uh, oh. you oh. have uh, you have gone out on the market and paid high, high money for a, <laughs> for somebody new to join castalbumreviews.com. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, I think I had mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago that Charles Kirsch has joined our uh, our team. Uh, so we're, I'm really very happy about that. And, and uh, to start it off, he wrote reviews of the London and Broadway cast albums of N. Juliet. So those are now posted on castalbumreviews.com. Oh, I didn't who- know that. Yeah, Mike, uh, Peter, what were you going to say? Uh, for those who don't know who Charles Kirsch is, he's a 15-year-old lad, and uh, tonight I'll be seeing him in Guys and Dolls Jr. playing Nathan Detroit. So uh, oh. I'm looking forward to that at the uh, 92nd Street Y. Oh, I wish I had known about that. I don't think he That's mentioned great. it. That's great. He's yeah. got so much going on. He does, yeah. and he's uh, he's got a great, great podcast, and he's mm-hmm. got his shows at 54 Below, and he's keeping yeah. busy. 
He sure is. Keep him busy. That's great. And I didn't realize that Anne Juliet had a, a, a Broadway cast recording already. I Oh, yeah. I'm out of that loop. Out yeah. of that loop. I yeah. uh, have to, uh, you know, Anne Juliet was such a, a big hit uh, with my family that uh, with uh, the extended family cousins and uh, aunts and uncles and things like that, we, we all went to go see it. And uh, so I have to get that for them. Well, it was a big hit with me, too. And um, the cast albums are coming fast and furious, really. Uh, funny Girl, that. Um, there's uh, a new cabaret, that cabaret from London. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, well, all the beautiful noise, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, there was that very fallow period during the pandemic, and now it's like the floodgates have opened. So, um Mm-hmm. We're going to be very busy uh, trying to review review all of these uh, mm-hmm. recordings. Oh, and there's also the London Funny Girl with um, Sheridan Smith that mm-hmm. we haven't gotten yeah. to yet. I'm going to see if I can do a review of that one. That's great. So, yeah, yeah castalbumreviews.com. That's also in the show notes. So you can uh, click on that and get over there and take a look at all the different reviews that – Michael and company have been working on for many, many years. Michael, do you have an approximate count on how many reviews you have up there? No, that's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it but must I mean, be thousands because sure. it, it, it started. It started from the book, right? Yes, yes. The Theater Mania so, Guide to Musical Theater Recordings. Yeah. So, was, and they uh, didn't want to do a. I mean, which I had said from the beginning, I thought should have been online because it needs to constantly constantly be updated but they wanted it in book form and then they didn't want to do a second edition so Mm -hmm. um so here we are all right yeah so (laughs) it reminds me when i go into used bookstores and you see uh these plays or these biographies of theater people and uh the the owners of the stores make a big deal of the fact that they were the first edition. Yeah. They were the only edition in fact. Because, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> oh, by the way, parenthetically uh, to our discussion, the, there was just a CD signing event for funny girl mm-hmm. uh, oh. with Leah Michelle at all. I'm not sure where it was actually. At the Anta, uh, the Wilson. Yeah. Oh, at the, that's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, like that night or the next day, um, Things started apparently turning up on eBay and elsewhere. Uh, rare signed no no uh, CD for like two hundred and twenty-five dollars. Wow. And as wow. somebody wrote in the comments, when I, you know, people were saying how ridiculous, and someone wrote in the comments, and people are going to pay that. Mm. Yeah. So, I, it, on, on one hand, it makes me so angry. On on another hand, you know, there's big fans that can't get to New York and can't you know, do these things. So True. How, they, True. how can they get that? But, but, you know, you see it, uh, all over the place, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, uh, autographs from Broadway con or, you know, uh, at the U S open, the U S tennis open, uh, when they have it here in New York, you know, in between matches, you have all the kids run down and have the, uh, the tennis players sign tennis balls and things like that, that, mysteriously end up on ebay and think uh, you know it it's so frustrating because you think you're doing a great thing for either a fan or a kid or something like that and it's turns out to be some sort of financial angle to it it's just 
That's well at uh, without you uh, the show with um, Anthony Rapp Anthony. Uh, where, yeah. where he talks about rent. Um, <clears throat> they're selling his uh, book without you uh, for twenty five dollars signed. However, let me point out that his signature is totally illegible, a, a, a <laughs> scrawl. I mean, just a, a swoop of a pen and nothing more than that. You would never be able to be, make out a single letter of <laughs> a, a Anthony Rapp. So um, anyway, uh, let the buyer beware. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Michael, to start off this morning, uh, we had the uh, passing of Emmett Foster, who was Joe Papp's assistant down at the public a few weeks ago, and uh, you wanted to share a story. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, I, I had met Emmett years ago on Fire Island, um, and we had just run into each other at various places over the years. Uh, I never really knew him that that well, but I was always delighted to see him because uh, he was very charming and funny and sweet and delightful. And uh, for a long time, I, I could never remember his name. I used to call him Elliot, um, and he would always correct me. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I finally got it. Um, and yeah, then in recent years, uh, we had um, be become a little closer. It turns out he lives quite quite nearby um, in Hell's Kitchen. And uh, he uh, told me the, this one amazing story that I, I did share on the podcast some time ago that he was working for Joe Papp. Uh, well, he worked for him for 20 years and he was working for him when the time came for the record breaking uh, Broadway performance of a chorus line uh, when it became the uh, the, the longest running musical. And as we all now know, uh, that, you know, that was a legendary performance where they uh supervised by michael bennett where they wound up bringing back people who had been in the show uh over the over the years uh and uh at one point there were hundreds of people on stage i guess in the finale and people uh, some people say it was one of the greatest nights in showbiz history but emmett's told me that he was offered a ticket you know a free ticket as as a someone who works at the public and he initially was not going to go <laughs> because he he just had no idea what they were going to do he thought it was just going to be another performance and then maybe there would be speeches at the end uh and all that so he was talking with someone one day down there as it was getting closer to the show and uh and they asked him about it and he said oh you know i'm not i'm not going to go i'm going to i'm going to skip it and the person was like are you out of your mind and they <laughs> told him they told him uh what was being planned and so he got a ticket and he said it was just unforgettable i was and i wasn't um at that uh, performance oh you said you were at the like the basically the dress, the rehearsal. dress rehearsal right yes Right. And what was really exciting was because of uh, taping by NBC, they actually did the one number twice. So uh, we got to see it twice, and that was pretty exciting. Um, uh, Emmett was very, very close with Jim Nicola, um, who until recently was artistic director of New York Theatre Workshop. And uh, Jim wrote a wonderful uh, remembrance of him online. He says... Uh, uh, this is another significant fact. Emmett uh, was probably best known for the two theater pieces he wrote for himself to perform. The two pieces were autobiographical, exploring his own life and times as a gay recovering Mormon. 
the first mm. Emmett, a one Mormon show, was produced at the mm. public in 1983. And in a series wow. of pungently witty portraits of the family that comprised the jagged world of his upbringing, a mother who was married nine times while remaining deeply committed oh to God. her practice of Mormonism, he revealed the struggle to become his own whole person. His later struggle with addiction rendered with his characteristic acerbic comedy alongside his deep and loving relationship with his boss, the fabled theatrical producer Joseph Papp, were covered in this second piece. So it's come to this, first produced in 1996 at New York Theatre Workshop. Um, so that's the Jim Nicola connection. But um, My so, God, nine, nine times. Yeah, I know. It's more than Alan J. Lerner. I'm sorry I missed those shows. <laughs> they must have been great. Anyway, Emmett has left us, and I, I neglected to mention his passing last week, so I'm sorry about that. But he, it was quite unexpected and and uh, very sad. But I'm glad I knew him at least a little bit. Hmm. So uh, in other news this week, uh, Cindy Adams in the New York Post published a column that tagged on to the very, very end, the last 50 words of the column or something like that, talked about the possible end of Jujamson. Now, Jujamson is mm. one of the major theater owners on Broadway, uh, own, own a number of houses, five houses, six houses or something. Um, and their talk, and the piece in uh, Cindy Adams' column said that the theaters are going to be sold to the Ambassador Theater Group uh, for about eight hundred million dollars, uh, what Peter? What would Broadway be without Andrew Jamson? Well, um, I guess it would go on merrily. Frankly, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, for those um, who don't know where that odd word came from, um, it, oh right, <laughs> the big Kahuna's um, children were Judith, James, and Cynthia. So that's where Jew Jam Sin comes from. But uh, I have a buddy who's um, who was an executive with that organization for a long, long time, and he said, "I'll be very surprised if it happens." But James, you believe otherwise? Yeah, I, you know, it, it seems to be that this uh, this is rumored to be coming to fruition. So, uh, well, when it gets uh, to the point where they actually name the the buyer too, yeah, uh, I, that would seem to indicate, yeah, yeah, and uh, so the big three would be the big three now, but Ambassador would replace uh, Gigi Empson here mm -hmm. in in the mix. Uh, but, you know, uh, as we say, corporations are just uh, groups of people. And so yeah. uh, the the Jujamson people hopefully, you know, would find other work in the industry that's similar and not – I hope we don't lose them. Um, you know, certainly they'll still need the uh, a number of people to run these houses, and hopefully they'll still be in places such – tremendous institutional knowledge that's passed from one person to the next um you know as you work in an organization so hopefully uh these folks that if this comes to pass that Jude Jamson does become uh, absorbed into ambassador that uh that they won't be too much in the job loss category and uh these people will continue to be part of the Broadway community I mean I just can't even imagine 
Well, so, new brooms tend to sweep clean. Um, so, yeah, um, right. but on but on the other hand, we can also say, well, this will give a whole new group of people who want jobs opportunities. Who knows? You know, the, the, you can look at it both ways. So, yeah. All right. So uh, the three of us are quite behind on <laughs> seeing a beautiful noise, which it wasn't our goodness. fault. Uh, no, right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Opened up in December or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. But uh, all three of us got rescheduled for various uh, various outages of the folks in the company. Peter is the first of the three of us to see it. He saw a beautiful noise. Michael's going this week on Tuesday, and I'm trying to reschedule myself as well. So, Peter, tell us what you thought about. Well, first of all, are you a Neil Diamond devotee? No, uh, but the thing <laughs> is that um, it starts off in a very uh, exciting way because um, you hear, ladies and gentlemen, Neil Diamond, the curtain goes up and you see two people sitting on stage. That's it. Two people in chairs, rather far apart. And what it turns out to be is here's Neil Diamond, as he's describing the playbill, Neil Now. And uh, Mark Jacoby, um, is it Jacoby or Jacoby? I've never learned. Jacoby. Yeah. Okay. So uh, he, he's playing Neil Diamond now, talking to his um, to his psychiatrist, and talking about um, how his wife uh, wants him to be um, in analysis. His wife, Katie. Keep that in mind. Katie. That's significant. So anyway, um, then you go back in time, of course, and see what's going on. And that's when Will Swenson takes over as Neil then, as it's called. Though if you go on Wednesday night, you don't see Will Swenson. You see Nick Fradiani. Uh, so he only does seven a week, uh, Will does. So the problem more than anything else is that, at least as th this show shows us, Neil Diamond just did not have that interesting a life. <laughs> That's the problem. I mean, the big conflict is, of course, that while he's starting out, a young woman named Marsha Murphy believes in him. So we know what's going to happen. He's going to dump the wife who has been dutiful to him through uh, the, the lean years, and he's going to hook up with Marsha. However, remember, we heard in that first scene, my wife Katie. So as a result, you know, we know that this thing with Marsha isn't going to work out. And the way it doesn't work out is the most cliched way of all. She's on the phone all the time saying, you're never home. Your children want to see you. Where are you? You're on tour. Now the tour has been extended. You know, and, the, this, and it's really too bad because Robin Herter, who plays the part, is very appealing in the early scenes, amazingly so. A self-assured woman who really knows who she is and what she wants and all that. It's a wonderful performance, but then, of course, she has to be a dish rag and has to complain all the time. So, um, and as we say, we know it's doomed if we've been paying attention to that first scene because we know that Katie's going to come on the scene. So anyway, it's just not... Of all these bio-musicals, I think this is the least interesting one. One of the things I've always said that made Jersey Boys so terrific was the fact that early on they showed people breaking into churches, somebody's going to prison. You know, We got the impression they were telling us the truth. And that's why Jersey Boys was um, something believable. We are here with thinking there must be more going on than just uh, problems with a, with a wife or two. There must be more, but somehow they didn't want to tell us more. Okay, I, um, go ahead. I I uh, have read a little bit about the show, not having seen it yet. Do, do I understand that it, it, that it deals with the fact that apparently he developed stage fright? Um, I don't think that was an issue, no. 
Oh, okay. I, I thought you, I you tell that. me. I, I maybe... no. I mean, I, I, I again. I no. You're I, going I, Tuesday, so you'll pay attention. Yeah, yeah. I will. Answer. I will. So, yes. um, but I, I, I don't recall anything about that. There was a problem with the mafia. Um, he got involved with the mafia and, uh, or a mafia-like organization. I mean, given the fact that mafia is Tommy O'Rourke, played by the always <laughs> wonderful um, character actor uh, Michael McCormick, who's been in the business since the revival of Oliver. And I don't mean, I shouldn't say revival, return engagement of Oliver in um, 1964 or 5, somewhere on there. He was a kid in that. And he has worked steadily since, and I'm delighted that he has. So anyway... Um, so the thing is, uh, there he is. He signs with, um, if not the mafia, a mafia-like organization. And how does he get out of it? Much too easily. Much too easily. All right. The same story with all these things. People don't come to hear the story. They come to sing the songs. This is the first one I've ever seen where, actually, at one point, this Marsha Murphy looks out the audience and goes, Everybody! And then we sing. You know, I didn't, of course, but I mean, I didn't know the uh, lyrics. But anyway, so the fourth wall is broken. I mean, they really want you to, to, to sing along. I don't think that really happens until the end of a show in a mega mix when they when they come down to the footlights, slap their hands over their heads, which is the universal symbol for it's time for you to clap now along with us. But, but this was really something. It, of course, without that, people would have joined in to sing Sweet Caroline, um, which they uh, love doing. Um, that must have really been something at the Colonial in Boston when they were trying out, <laughs> since that's a big deal with the Red Sox, which uh, which I'll never understand, but that's another story. So, um, so really, uh, Will Swenson, yeah, I mean, he has that rock um, uh, um, persona of, you know, growling out words, looking as if, I mean, if, if you just had a close-up of his face, the way he's singing and again, this is a rock performance. He's not doing anything wrong. He's doing everything right. But, you know, these rock performers, you know, really look as if they're, if you just saw their face, you'd say, oh, um, you know, they're sitting on the toilet and they're having a tough time of it. You know, I mean, so, because uh, that's what rock, male rock performers do. They make it look like it's hard, you know, while, of course, regular Broadway performers make it look easy. But that's another story. So anyway, um, what it comes, this is another one, and you know, just sit back, relax, you know. And again, as I say, I like musicals that make me lean forward. So, anyway, we'll see what uh, uh, Michael and James think as the weeks go on. <laughs> All right, so, um, that is a beautiful noise, it's at the Broadhurst. Um, and we will see and report back uh, in later sh future shows. Michael, you went back. I think this was your third time. Correct. Um, third time to the August Wilson Theater to see Funny Girl, where you purchased your own ticket to see this show. So tell us, uh, you have now seen all of the Funny Girls, right? Well, all except the, uh, the <laughs> one of the understudies, Effie -E Okay, That's how her name mm -hmm. is. Still uh, time, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I got press tickets for Beanie Feldstein and then for Julie Benko, but I wasn't uh, actually. Um, let me reverse that, <laughs> scratch that, reverse that. Uh, <laughs> I first saw it with Julie Benko because uh, Beanie was out that day. Oh, right. And yeah. then they uh, did give me a press ticket to go back and see Beanie, but nobody was giving me no press tickets to see Leah Michelle yeah. because the show is selling out. 
uh, the numbers have been phenomenal. I don't know if you, you've all been yeah. following. It's really quite it something. And, and, you know, now we're in mid-January, which is like normally the, the worst time <laughs> uh, for ticket sales, but they're still doing really well. So she, it's kind of a, I mean, I think this is a case where the, the backstory of the production is even more interesting <laughs> and better than the show itself. Um, because unfortunately it's a, quite a poor production with really unfortunate sets and a and a horrendously uh rewritten new book by Harvey Firestein, in my opinion. Um but uh Leah Michelle is really quite great in it. It it is a star performance. Uh I remember when uh she originally wanted to uh, she very much publicly expressed the desire of wanting to play the role uh long before she ever wound up doing it uh and when she was on glee that was part of even written into the character that she played of rachel that that this this young girl wanted to uh idolize barbara barbara streisand and and wanted to play funny girl uh and that was very much based on real life so when when that was happening i remember some people expressed um uh doubt as to whether she would be funny enough in the role uh i don't think anyone ever doubted that she could sing it spectacularly well which she does but um she had not done that kind of comedy uh on Glee or uh, anywhere else, as far as I know. And so uh, I, uh, many people, myself included, wondered if she would be uh, able to do that. And I would say the answer to that is sort of. Um, she didn't get a whole lot of laughs when I saw the show. Um, uh, and, uh, but, uh, but she seemed like she was playing it the role the way it should be uh the accent uh the that new york jewish accent sounded perfect to me and i have a lot of experience with that um and there's you know she was the pacing was good and the energy was really up it was just a question of maybe sometimes the timing was a little bit off and uh therefore she did not get as many laughs as either uh beanie feldstein or Julie Banco when I saw them in, in the role. But I wouldn't say that it was uh, really a big issue because um, as I as I say, she, she, overall, she really had the character down, I think. And she was wonderful in the dramatic moments and the singing was absolutely, absolutely great. Um, so I was very glad that I got back to see it with her. I, I would have not wanted to miss it just because I would have felt like uh, it would, it's, it's kind of historic in a way, just the whole, the way the whole thing happened mm -hmm. with, mm -hmm. with her wanting to do the show and, and singing don't rain on my parade on the Tony awards is pretty much an audition for it. And then, mm -hmm. um, and then the show winding up being directed by Michael Mayer, who directed Leah in her, her first big breakout, a show spring awakening but with someone else um in the role and then that person receiving 
lukewarm to negative reviews and exiting the show very, very soon. And then Leah basically coming in to save the production, which um, would undoubtedly have been closed uh, by now if she hadn't come in. So um, I hear she's, she's really committed to it. And she, I don't think, I think, I think I hear that she has only missed one performance. She's only scheduled for, um, for seven a week. Uh, she doesn't do Thursdays, I believe. Uh, Julie Banker mm-hmm. is still performing on that on those days. Uh, but it um, will be interesting to see uh, how how long exactly she stays in it, and uh, if they attempt to recast the role when she when she goes. Uh, there are also rumors. I think I've read rumors that she is going to be touring in the show. So we'll see if mm-hmm. that happens. Really. Mm. I I uh, think I had, you know, but it could yeah, just well, be yeah, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure, of course, of yeah. course, yeah. yeah. That said, um, <clears throat> I did a book some years ago called uh, Broadway Musical MVPs, and the concept was giving awards that sports gives that theater doesn't. And in baseball, mm. there's a, a, an award called Reliever of the Year. Well, is there any mm-hmm. doubt if that uh, award existed on Broadway that mm-hmm. Lee Michelle would get it? Uh, the album came out. Um, I uh, It's a Masterworks Broadway album. I do a column for them every Tuesday, and it'll be something I write about for next Tuesday. But uh, she really does sound terrific on the album. No question yes. about it. Terrific. And uh, it's wonderful. But Michael, I want to know about Toba Felchu. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely great. Uh, just perfect for the role. Uh, between uh, Tova and Leah entering the production, I would almost say it's an entirely new show. Unfortunately, still yeah. saddled with the sets and the book. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, well, but yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, Jared I'll tell Grimes. you though, I'll tell you, think about this book, The Funny Girl, when you see Beautiful Noise on Tuesday. Oh, because okay. Again, it does, it does deal with marital strife, and you'll come away with a lot more respect for the book for Funny Girl. Anyway, um, Jared Grimes, you were saying. Oh well, he he continues, and he's still great. Um, and I thought Remy Karimlu uh, seemed to have more chemistry with Leah. Um, I have heard that. By then the way. with um, Beanie, you know, yes. Yeah, yeah, that he really has come into his own as a result of her being there. You know, I guess the chain is as strong as the weakest link, you know, so uh, so it right. does happen uh, that, uh, you know, um, so uh, terrific. Good. Glad to hear. All right. So um, that is Funny Girl at the August Wilson Theater. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, interesting thought about her going out on the road. That. Hmm. Oh, even the orchestra sounded better, by the way. It just oh, seemed like the whole thing sounded, seemed so much better. <laughs> well, it seems like it's more, you know, the, the, the it seems like from the outside that the the whole production and uh, the cast and the crew and everything is more cohesive these days. Mm. It, it seemed like a very rocky boat uh, in the very beginning when it was in previews and first opened. Right. So, well, I mean, aside from everything else, just the... Um, the drama. You know, people people can't ignore what's can't completely ignore reviews and what's being said online and stuff and so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm sure a lot of that seeped in uh when it sure. opened to sure. those incredibly underwhelming reviews for beanie in particular sure sure, sure. Yeah. all right so next up peter was at 59 east 59 and saw the immortal jellyfish girl so peter tell us about this 
Well, what I really want to say about this is if you go on the website um, and you see uh, information about this, it says recommended for ages 10 and up. Okay. So to me, that implies that if you're 10 years old, um, seeing the show is um, really a, a viable option. It would suggest that it's a show for uh, tweens. Uh, or older, God knows. I mean, it didn't say, you know, 10 to 14. I mean, the point is that it's for tweens and adults. Um, but, whoa, you know, I don't think it's um, for 10-year-olds at all. Uh, um, so I wish they hadn't put it that way. I know what they're trying to say in the sense that um, it's, it's not a show for young kids, but I'm not sure it's for uh, 10 years old either because it's a very violent and off-putting show because it's done with puppets and uh, the puppets are very effective beautifully rendered no mistake about that but it's about a dystopian society and i'm telling you you watch these puppets pulled apart and you see their innards and i mean it's just horrible to to spend um 90 minutes or so uh watching these puppets be destroyed and um because it's just hoping inside times are hard yes of course at the end there's that ray of hope the people go on um the skin of our teeth type of message but boy watching these these um animals um vivisected uh, is something i thought was really really unfortunate I, I i wasn't interested in the show at all but i really want to uh, mention this as um as a warning if people go on the website and say oh um, oh i can take my kids to it all right yeah no, i i don't think you should frankly i don't think you should go either but um the fact remains is that um uh, not for 10 year olds <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I often wonder when people say uh, this is for a specific group if they've really done their homework. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very often not. Mm -hmm. So that is the Immortal Jellyfish Girl, 59 is 59, playing through February 12th. Uh, Peter and Michael got over to the Lucy Lortel to see Colin Quinn's small talk. Uh, so, uh, Michael, why don't you get us started on this? Yeah, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, but I, I don't. I guess have much to say about it because uh, if you love him uh, and his comedy, which I do, then you're going to love this. It's called Colin Quinn's Small Talk um, and directed by James Fauville, F-A-U-V-E-L-L. And uh, it's uh, there's a, the general, very general topic of small talk that he uses as a jumping off point, but there's there's lots of fun observations in it. At one point he said, um, everything was coming so fast and furious. I, I had trouble remembering and writing down anything, but he said something like, uh, your, uh, your Facebook profile is how you see yourself and your browser history is who you really are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like things like that, that everyone can relate to. And he, uh, his delivery, he's, he's one of the best people ever as far as um, being able to create the illusion of the first time that he's really just, all these ideas are coming to his head right at that moment. And he's, uh, and he's talking to you and uh, telling you his thoughts on various matters. I remember I said that, um, was also true about Mike Birbiglia and I, and I you know, mm -hmm. I guess any great comedian who does that kind of stand up sort of 
stuff, but some of it are some people are even better at it than others. And he he is he, he's got a very, very relatable um, kind of lower class New York guy kind of delivery that that makes him very, very um empathetic and you just kind of want you feel like you know he's just some nice guy who's telling you all this stuff uh so i i have enjoyed all of his shows and this one is no exception it's quite short it seemed like it was only about an hour uh and um oh and uh i think that there has been considerable renovation of the lortel since the last time i was there which would have been before the pandemic um and so that's another nice thing because that place really needed it <laughs> um so i i'm glad i went I, I highly recommend it again if 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 you like him this will do nothing to change your opinion hmm. uh peter what about you what i want to stress is the fact that it was a very young audience He's no kid. I don't mean he's old, but he's no kid. And he's substantially older than the audience he seems to be getting. And the audience adores him. Mm. I'm telling you that it wasn't just a case of their roaring with laughter. But um, the guy across from me, um, the aisle, was uh, slapping his knee on many occasions, <laughs> you know, uh, which is, I guess, the ultimate compliment. So really, um, it's I think it's really wonderful when uh, somebody uh, is able to draw in a, a younger audience and please the audience that much. So I want to really stress this. Yes, indeed, the Lotel has been renovated tremendously. Um, uh, I'm a little sad about the fact that um, so many posters of uh, window cards of years ago oh. were taken down. I mean, I used to love going there and see everything from uh, the Three Penny Opera to uh, a short-running off-Broadway musical called A Month of Sundays. And uh, so it was always fun looking at those windows. They're all gone. Uh, they've been replaced by uh, paint. Uh, handsome paint, by the way. Nice colored paint, but paint. Um, <laughs> every seat has been uh, taken out, and um, and that includes the balcony uh, as well. Um, so the seats are more comfortable. However, um, while they were at it, since they were taking out the seats, I wish that they had done something with the rake of the uh, theater mm. because there, there's there's no uh, particular rake there, and uh, at least not enough of one. I'll grant you that the stage is a little high, uh, and as a result, um, you don't really miss all that much if, um, if you're uh, far back, which indeed I was. But still, uh, I'm sorry that they didn't address the rake issue. That said, yes, the seats are comfortable now. They weren't before. Those posters you spoke of, did they used to be on the second floor? They used to be as soon as you walked in, right? And they were all right there. Um, there's yeah. the box office oh. on the left side, oh. and they were all above um, the lobby. And then they were all the way up the stairs when you went up to right. the balcony. Right, right, yes. They, yeah, yeah. So there were plenty of them. I would say there were at least mm, three dozen. So mm -hmm. I don't know where they went, um, but I would like to know. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'll have to get in touch with Jeffrey Schubert, who, um, not Schubert, but Schubert, um, who is certainly connected with the organization at least to the point where he um, administers uh, the awards with us. And um, so, I'll, I, but I am curious about that. Uh, but anyway, uh, for those people who uh, have never been there before, they're going to find a much more handsome theater than there was before. Yeah, it, it did need a, a facelift. So that is Colin, uh, Colin Quinn, Small Talk at the Lucy Lortel. It's playing through February 11th, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. 
Peter, uh, you got over to the WP Theater. You made an appointment to see the appointment. <laughs> so tell us about this uh, play. The, um, it's actually a musical. Um, oh, though there's okay. not all, there's not that much music in it, but it is a musical. There's a band on stage, and the composer um, is certainly part of uh, the action. It is about ninety minutes long, and I would say that for me, about um, eighty-five minutes were excruciating beyond belief. However, however, those last minutes were so powerful. All right. So this is the type of show that people um, laugh at rather than laugh with, um, because what you are introduced to at the beginning are people dressed, uh, if you know the term onesies, um, the, the children <laughs> wear, um, and, um, and they're fetuses. They're, they have head pieces and they have umbilical cords coming out of their belly buttons. Does this sound like a hit to you? Yeah. Anyway, so anyway, and they act. So I, I, it seems to be a pro-life show because um, you're supposed to really bond with these fetuses who are very silly, very sophomoric, um, and they are throughout the show. Occasionally, you will see a scene where women are in a waiting room. Uh, played by the same people who play the fetuses, but you know they're dressed conventionally, and um, they're waiting for their abortions. And there's a very nice song that um, uh, one woman starts uh, about the fact that um, about the judgment that she is undoubtedly facing and the difficulty she's going through. It's a very good song. Later, however, there's a song that's regrettably called "Rip It Out." And it really seems like an 11 o'clock number, and I was really hoping it was the final song. It really is the type of song to really expect a blackout at the end of. Um, and even though it was only an hour, um, I thought, well, maybe this is the end of the show, and I was very happy to have that happen. <laughs> so, uh, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't at all. Okay, so what are the last five minutes? They're very powerful because you actually see the woman going in for an abortion, and she is told what to expect, how she's going to feel, how she shouldn't worry if this happens, that is perfectly normal. And although it is not a graphic scene, not at all, and it is a silent scene, and I'm telling you, as seconds go by into at least a minute, maybe more, it is so eerie to watch this woman on the uh, gurney and um, and seeing her toes twitch, um, perhaps in pain, perhaps in agony, you, you just wonder what's going through her mind. Is she saying I'm doing the right thing? Um, or thank God this is happening? You don't know, but I'm telling you, it is so powerful to watch this scene. And then the doctor matter-of-factly matter says, that's it. And she goes back into the waiting room to sit before going home. That's the end of the show. You know, um, uh, uh, truly, so much of it <clears throat> qualifies as the worst thing I've ever seen. But boy, that final scene, I was so glad that um, because I'm a nominator, I have to stay to these, at these things. So uh, I'm very glad because um, I would have really, uh, if I were John Q. Public, not as a nominator, I certainly would have left. And I would have missed something extraordinarily powerful. So um, this is playing at the WP Theater, but it is not a WP 
production. Oh, no? It's a, uh-huh. it's a rental. I see. Um, and uh, it's funny what you were saying about it because as you were describing it, I was like uh, thinking, you know, it's it's very fringy. And it, yeah, it actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in, in the genre of the fringe where you put up a show very quickly and don't have a big budget and it, it's very campy and things like that. But uh, it turns out that this was uh, part of the Fringe Arts Festival in Philadelphia and Camp Fringe in 2018. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, you know, when fringe shows make the leap, like um, I think Urinetown is the big example there. Sure. Uh, sure, sure. When you leap from Urinetown Fringe to Urinetown Broadway, uh, mm-hmm. they have, you know, rethought a lot of those things and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, changed it from the sticky fringe stuff to, uh, you know, production level stuff. So that is playing at the WP through February 14th. I'll have a link to that in the show notes if you want to check that out. They have yeah, great the, uh, Valentine's pic- Day show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pictures of the uh, the onesies <laughs> and other production photos as well. Yeah, take um, a look. Uh, so, Michael, you went over to Fifty Four Below to see two Broadway shows. Si- to see Broadway's greatest hits, and the, uh, did you were you at the Between the Lines cast recording as well? Yes, yes. So, tell us about these uh, these two shows. Yeah, um, uh, Thursday night was a, a, a an album release party, cast album release party for Between the Lines, which is a show that I really, really adored when it played off Broadway last fall um and uh it uh, with music and lyrics by this new team that you you really have to keep your eye on them Alyssa Samsel and Kate Anderson music and lyrics um book by Timothy Allen McDonald but Alyssa and Kate uh they they really have this stuff they're able to write these fantastic songs with really, really great, memorable hooks. Uh, but they also, uh, so they, they function very well outside of the show in terms of just <laughs> uh, songs you want to listen to on a, on a record, you know, but they, but also very, very well in context uh, with the book. Uh, by the way, this was, the show was directed by uh, the original show. The full show was directed by Jeff Calhoun with choreography by Paul McGill. And it's about um, a 17-year-old young woman, girl uh, named Delilah, who um, moves to a new town and she's feeling alone. And so she she's very bookish and she uh, escapes into reading. And uh, for whatever reason, she winds up uh, getting this new book that's a, a, a fairy tale. Uh, and so she's reading that from the, the perspective of, of a 17-year-old and uh what happens is that the characters in the book uh, start to come alive uh, every time she opens it. And uh, beginning with the handsome prince, who's kind of at the center of the story. And so, of course, she winds up falling in love with him. You probably won't uh, be surprised to hear that. And it's just really, really clever uh, and wonderfully creative and and uh, based, by the way, on the book by Jody Picou and Samantha Van Leer. Um, Jody Picou uh, uh, is um, quite uh, well known in, in for writing those kinds of books 
apparently, and um, she was present at the at the uh, at this event at fifty four below. Um, and uh, she also she she came on stage and she uh, remarked upon the fact that not not only are Alyssa Samsel and Kate Anderson fabulously talented as songwriters, but it turns out they're really they were really really great hosts for this show. And in fact, Jody said something like, uh, "You guys are like Saturday Night Live." They were completely at home. You kind of felt like they could have a career doing that. Um, so that made it all the more enjoyable, and it seemed like they had almost all of the um, of the original cast back for uh, for this presentation, and uh, it was absolutely packed with fans who adored the show. And so um, I I was it was one of those nights where you're just really uh the, the the excitement in the room was palpable and 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 i was so glad i was there uh, uh not, not especially to the two leads um ariel jacobs and jake david smith as delilah and the prince um ariel jacobs uh is so uh wonderful on stage so so loving and so charming and so sweet and she has a great um ability to believably play a 17 year old even though uh she's considerably older than that uh and jake david smith also i'm not sure of his age but he was he was just perfect as this young prince uh their their comedy and their their um relationship to each other just was so so palpable and and uh i can't imagine um anyone else in those roles uh which is a silly thing to say but uh, I, I hope the show is done again uh i hope it has uh, another life because it's that good so that was that was really fantastic and then on saturday night uh last night i got to see um the 99th edition of scott siegel's uh, broadway's greatest hits shows at 54 um so the hundredth one is coming up uh, in early February. If you want to be there for that milestone, and it was another great evening. Uh, highlights were the Drinkwater Brothers back again, proving their versatility. Uh, their first number was "You're Nothing Without Me" from City of Angels, and their second number was "Flesh Failures" slash "Let the Sunshine In" from Hair. And it's kind of uh, aside from everything else. They were fantastic in both, but it's so interesting that um, that actually "You're Nothing Without Me" was written what like 25 years or more after uh, those songs from Hair, uh, because the the Hair songs are, are are true, I would say, true rock songs. Those those songs anyway, and "You're Nothing Without Me" uh, was written by Cy Coleman and David Zibel as a pastiche, a wonderful pastiche of um, like a jazz number from the maybe the 30s or 40s or, or the 50s uh so that that was a great thing that showed uh the versatility of the drink waters and also um the you know what musical theater can encompass in in terms of two very 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 different scores um other highlights ryan knowles uh who was in the last show that i saw and i actually gave him 
short shrift on that occasion, uh, the last Siegel show, he uh, scored with the audience big time with Be Our Guest from Beauty and the Beast and then the dentist song from Little Shop of Horrors. Um, this wonderful young woman named Stella Catherine Cole, who apparently has a very big following on social media, uh, sang On a Clear Day and then uh, Stardust, the Hoagie Carmichael song, which as Scott, I guess, described it as an honorary Broadway song because it was featured, if nothing else, in the show with that title, uh, Stardust, which uh, was a tribute to the lyrics of Mitchell Parrish, who, who wrote the lyrics to that song with Hoagie Carmichael. And then um, finally, I want to mention Willie Falk uh, from the original Miss Saigon uh, who did, uh, he did If I Were a Rich Man, which I have seen him do before, um, and at 54 Below, uh, actually. Uh, and he's really terrific in that number. He brings every possible bit of emotion and comedy out of it. But then his other song was yet another example of a song that's from a Broadway show, but the show that it was from was a flop, and the song became so popular outside of the show that most people uh in this case including myself have no idea that it was from a broadway show and this song is i'll be seeing you uh and yeah, the notes on that are, yeah. yeah 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 this sentimental ballad was originally written for the 1938 broadway musical comedy right this way by sammy fane music and irving cajal lyrics it was performed in the musical by the singer tamara drayson during the third act while seated downstage at a little cafe table uh right this way closed after 15 performances but this tune became a jazz standard which has been covered by many singers uh and it especially became a huge emotional hit during world war ii in a country where many loved ones were serving far away overseas uh, because it's that kind of a beautiful um, elegiac tune uh, about really, really missing someone and, and just having memories of that person come up uh, as you walk going about your daily life and going to a certain cafe or visiting a certain park. Uh, beautiful, beautiful song. And, and the audience just loved Willie Fox's rendition of it. It was a great Another great show, uh, Scott Siegel show with, again, the amazing Ron Abel as the musical director, pianist. Oh, and Ben Jones. <laughs> ben Jones um, was in it and did a tour de force of uh, one of his songs was Hey There from Pajama Game. And he even brought a uh, a device. I forget what he called it. It's a, it's a kind of a high tech um, loop. I think he calls it a looper. Um he had recorded his voice uh, beforehand because uh, Hey There is famously a, a duet with the leading man of uh, Pajama Game singing a duet with himself on a what's supposed to be a dictaphone. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So he recreated that and it was the quality of it was just was just great. And uh, the, the gimmick of it, the audience absolutely ate it up, especially the part where he plays it back and he's talking to himself. Uh, and he says, you're talking to me and ah, shut up and things like that. <laughs> um, so that was a really great highlight and an evening of highlights. Yeah, right. Laura um, 
Franco's Turtle Dove, uh, who wrote a trivia book um, about Broadway and has a novel oh, yes. now about uh, Gershwin, said that if the show were done today, he'd be talking to Alexa. And uh, she would be... <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a great observation. <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh, those links are in the show notes as well, uh, as most of the 54 Below stuff. If we're talking about it, unfortunately, you've missed it, but the 100th is coming up there for the Scott Siegel shows. So, uh, and that's something. That's just uh, amazing. And that's just the 100th of just that one series. Yeah. Broadway's Greatest Hits. He's also got um, this Frank Sinatra series there. And the new one that he started that I had seen recently, the uh, Love Song Saturday Night, which is obviously only on Saturday nights. So um, lots of opportunity to see his shows <laughs> at 54 Below. All right. Uh, so finally this morning, uh, Peter, you got over to Theater Road to see Awful Endings, which uh, uh, you'll uh, remind everybody the spelling of that is not what we what it sounds like. No, it's O-F-F-A-L, because this is a story about suicide. It's about um, <clears throat> going to a place where you can commit suicide as painlessly as possible. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut wrote a short story with this theme many years ago, and I don't know if the playwright John Kleemeyer uh, knew it. Um, So it's always such a sad thing uh, for a playwright when somebody comes in knowing something similar. It's not his responsibility to know everything. I'm talking about the playwright, no, not me. But I mean, there I was uh, comparing it to Kurt Vonnegut, and of course, uh, Kurt Vonnegut was such a master, especially at being fanciful that um, this play did pale in comparison. But what I want to mention is a woman named Ali Hoffman, not Avi Hoffman, uh, Ali, A-L-I. And um, she plays one of the people who comes in to uh, commit suicide because her life has turned um, terribly uh, wrong. So, but the thing is, every now and then you see an actress who was so wonderful at seeming not to act. She reminded me a great deal of Diane Keaton. It's that she was, she's cut from the same bolt of cloth, but she's so natural, so lovely, so winning, that you really don't want to see her commit suicide. But I really am saying this now because I have a feeling that this woman is going to have quite the future. And um, I want to be one of the first uh, to jump on the bandwagon and say how terrific she was. So... Uh, it's in a very small space in Theater Row, the smallest of all, the studio theater, way up high. Take the elevator. Uh, and um, again, uh, I wish the play were better. It has an ending that didn't seem like an ending to me at all, but um, but she's quite, quite good. So let's see if anything happens with Ali Hoffman. I wish her the best. I guess I don't understand, even knowing that it's about suicide, what uh, what the awful references because i i thought i knew what it meant and i looked it up and i was mostly right it's the entrails and internal organs of an animal used as food right so is can you well there's a lot of talk about the fact what happens if if you donate um your your parts oh Um, okay so um but um yeah it's not the right title for the show at all, frankly. But yeah, um, okay, <laughs> it's 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 by no means terrible. But um, but it's just not good enough. But she is. Hmm. Okay, 
So that wraps it up for this morning. Before we get on to our trivia and the musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us and Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find a podcast, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do we have an answer for last week's trivia? Well, as Josh Israel pointed out, um, I made a mistake right at the outset because I said a musical has six characters who are very typically atypically named um, for a shaving cream, a soft drink, an item made of paper that's used for beverage consumption, a gasoline company and a chewing gum. And as he pointed out, Peter, that's five, not six. Okay, so that's my first mistake. <laughs> All right. Who are they and what musical do they appear? Well, they're Burma Shave, Dr. Pepper, Dixie, Dixie Cup, Bubber Texaco, and Juicy Fruit. The illegitimate children of Baby Love, a character in The Grass Harp. <laughs> Funny, two weeks ago when I asked listeners to identify an item that appeared in the first scene of the show but was never seen again, meaning Carousel, both Jack Leshner and Greg Christensen, two of our most devoted trivia players, guessed the grass harp, saying they knew nothing about the show, aside from my affection for it. So under those circumstances, I knew they wouldn't <laughs> get this one. But Ed Glazer did. He was the first to get it, followed by Brigadude and Tony Janicki. Now, this was really, really a tremendous achievement. We've, we've, um, we've, I've not, <laughs> Tony Janicki is a third place finisher for uh, these uh, three weeks in a row. But the thing is, what I did not realize was that these uh, lyrics don't show up in the cast album. Um, they're in the script. But that's a lot to ask. So this may have been the toughest question of all. We'll see if people find this next one tougher. If this musical could have lasted until October 20th, 1963, or October 20th, 1964, or October 20th, 1965, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, what famous song that had been sung sometime earlier by Marilyn Monroe could have applied to this musical. Hmm. If you know the answer to that, or even think you know an answer to that, <laughs> email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, as I mentioned, the score of Between the Lines, I really, really love it. And it, uh, aside from everything, it has really great hooks in it. And uh, our opener and our closer are two examples of that. The first uh, song, the opener, is the opening number of the show called Another Chapter. Uh, and the closer is the title song, Between the Lines. So uh, see if you agree with me. I, I think you will. And uh, as I said, the album is now available very much available. I I urge you to give it a listen. I, I think that you will be very, very pleased and that this is not, um, well, you, you will see and hear the show again, I hope, and I think. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay, fine. 
I know that it's risky, but out here, out here, my mind is clear. Till I fix it on this fairy tale. That's like hashtag epic fail. But between the lines, there's a place where I feel free. And the world is somehow quiet when it's just the moon and me. And there's a guy who I relate to. I'm scared of dragons, trolls, abnormal moles, and high heights. But it's my job to save the princess. So I do it well, I have to tell the tale. I have a sword, I've never used it. One time I tried, I hit my bottom and I bruised it. I use my brain to beat the villains. The story needs heroic leads like me. But between the lines, I don't have to act the part. So I live for all the moments before I'm right back at the start. If I could leave these pages, I'd say what I truly feel. Between the lines, that's where my life is real Books don't talk You didn't talk Please before Please won't you listen Your head's so big And my, your eyes Oh, how they glisten The other heads They were much smaller Thanks That's why I noticed you It's quite a lovely view Nope Good, Delilah Now you're imagining That a fictional character's flirting with you You're gonna open the book And he's not gonna Talk. Please don't shot me high. Oh my god. Don't trap me here. I'm crazy. Cause you can hear me, right? You can hear me, right? Can you hear me? Um, yes. Then don't shot me high. Sorry. Cause this means I'm this can't be real. This is splendid, right? This is splendid, right? This is splendid. Wait, I've read hundreds of books and this has never happened before. Well, I'm not like most characters. Everyone here seems happy living the lives that have been written for them. I'd give anything to change my story. Me too. See? Look how much we already have in common. It must be lovely there. I'd rather live a fairy tale. No one here can understand me. I've always felt isolated. Always felt underrated. Now I'm elated to find that between our minds, there's a way we can connect. I've always felt this book was different, but it's not what you'd expect. And it's love. 